we were an agency literally taking hundreds of thousands of dollars from some of the biggest companies and brands in the world and spending that in a week on advertising. Mm. Welcome to the Passion to Brand podcast, a show of real stories from people who turned their passions into thriving brands through social media. I'm Brett Johnson, founder of Passion to Brand. And I'm Dale Schaefer, founder of DaleSchaefer.com. On the show today, how Car Brewhart turned her passion for social media marketing into the well-known brand Car Brewhart by simply sharing tips and tricks to help everyday entrepreneurs grow on social media. Our mission from day one at Passion to Brand has been to inspire people to pursue their passions in the digital world. We believe there's so much opportunity that exists today on social media to really take a hold of your passion and to turn it into a sustainable brand. Carr has a very similar message. She not only has built her own personal brand, but she also now works with hundreds of entrepreneurs, helping them with content strategy and growth tactics on social media. After hanging out with Carr a few times, I learned that she started out her career very similar to me as an accountant. It goes without saying that Carr and I bonded over this experience and I was so eager to learn more about her story. Uh, so I am Canadian and I grew up in Vancouver, British Columbia on the West Coast. And my parents still live in the same house where we grew up. And at the time, it was surrounded by an old growth forest because we live um, in UBC, which is mm. endowment land. So mm. it's old um, rainforest, old growth forest. And one of my favorite childhood memories is just being able to go outside. And at the time, there was tons of families in the area, lots of townhouses around us. And we would just go outside and build tree forts in the forest. And we would play outside all day until it was basically dinner time. And, you know, now that I see how kids are growing up and how my own cousins are growing up, they don't have that anymore. And I just realized how special that was that we had all of that that nature playground outside and it was safe. Yeah. And, and I'll be honest, uh, you know, Vancouver is actually one of my favorite cities to visit. I mean, I, I was, I guess I was there a couple of years ago and I promised myself that I would make a trip every year. Have I lived up to that promise? I haven't, but <laughs> it was something I really did mean. Yeah, it was amazing. And I, I live in New York city now. And so I definitely miss it, but we're lucky yeah. enough to get to go back very often. Yeah. It's so fun. Now, I guess when, when you were growing up, you, you lived in, in Vancouver for, for how long? Yeah, so that's the fun story. Uh, so I was born in Vancouver, uh, born to a Swiss man and a Mexican woman who oh, nice. both became Canadian. And when I was 27, 26, I moved to Berlin, Germany uh, to meet up with my then boyfriend, who is now my husband. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but actually, I left Vancouver, I guess, for the very first time as an adult, really, when I was uh, 17 years old, right after high school, uh, okay. to go to Ghana. And I was volunteering there for five months, um, doing a gap year before going to university. So that was the first mm -hmm. time I left. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, you were there for basically your whole childhood. I mean, that's you were you were fully, uh, fully immersed in the in the Vancouver community. I guess, were you in school, uh, I guess, grade school, middle school, high school, all, all you know, in, in the city? Yeah, everything in the city. So we grew up in UBC, which is, um, you know, at the end of the peninsula, okay. really close to downtown Vancouver. Um, and yeah, preschool, kindergarten, all of it. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. 
I know that's it. I want to kind of press into this a bit, Carl, because I know the first time we had connected, you know, I, I remember us talking and could just um, feel your ambition. Was that uh, how you were as a kid? Were you just super passionate and super like ambitious? I mean, going throughout school, you know, I, I remember you saying you made, you're making straight A's, probably, probably involved in a lot of clubs, you know, were, was that how you were when I mean, growing up? Yeah, you know, it's funny to think of myself as a kid now because I think I was probably deeply insecure, uh, you know, coming from, I would say, a middle to low income household, um, but still going to private schools. And my parents really worked hard to ensure that we had the best education and that we were traveling and we had all the best things. Um, but that definitely came with a high competition. And so I've always been very competitive um, and I've got a really strong work ethic, which comes from my my parents, primarily seeing my mother work really, really hard as yeah. an immigrant. And um, yeah, so my whole kind of um, youth was spent uh, as an athlete, as a straight A student. And, you know, everybody around me, though, was the same. So it wasn't out of the ordinary to be like that. Yeah. Interesting. You know, and I, I know for me, I mean, when I was in, I guess, uh, grade school, middle school, high school, um, you know, I was involved in a lot, but no idea where I was going. But I always knew the people in my in my class who were like getting the straight A's, you know, they always knew like what they wanted from from life. You know, they, they knew what they wanted to be when they were 12 years old. Did you think, you know, were, were you like that, that the, the the child that was like, I know exactly where I'm headed? No, I never knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. And that's the reason I actually went to Ghana because oh, okay. I had gone early acceptance to university um, and I had no idea what I wanted to study. I had no idea what I wanted to do with the rest of my life, in quote. And at the time, the options that were presented to us um, with like high grades was law school, medicine, yeah. or essentially um, academia. Yeah. And so... I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And mm. as a kid, I certainly did not know. I just knew that I'd, I just wanted to excel and I, I wanted to be the best. Yeah. Yeah. You're ambitious. You're like, I don't know what, what the career is, but just something that enables me to be able to step in and succeed. Exactly. Uh, so, so I guess you, you went to college um, and yeah. obviously you, you, you studied something, right? It was like, yeah. what, what did you, what did you decide to study? So here's the fun part. Because okay. I speak Spanish through my yeah. Mexican mother, uh, I ended up studying a combination of Spanish as my major mm. and political science as my minor. And then once again, um, at the whole law, law school track that I thought I was going to do, I realized that wasn't what I wanted to do with my life as I was studying for the LSAT during the summer. Mm. And I was working at a whale watching company in Victoria, BC at the time. Wow. And my boyfriend was a CPA and he just said one day, well, why don't you consider accounting? And full disclosure, like I am not a math person. I hmm. don't like numbers. Like some of my most vivid memories are sitting at the table with my dad, just like doing fractions and having no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> and I ended up applying for a receptionist position at an accounting firm in downtown Vancouver at a mid-sized firm. Wow. And I got the job. And about, uh, I think it was six months in, I was seeing all of um, my peers doing the accounting program and articling and working towards their designations. And so I looked around and said, well, they look like me. I can do this. So I went to the office of the only female COO at the time 
at the firm. Everyone else was a male partner. And I asked her if she would consider asking some of the partners if they would take me on as an articling student with no accounting experience, no business wow. degree. And she saw something in me and said, yeah, I think we can find somebody. And sure enough, they found a female manager who ended up being an incredible mentor. And I ended up going back to college, um, to night school, this time at the business school called Sodder at UBC and doing my accounting degree while articling full time. Wow. That is incredible. <laughs> what I mean, oh and, and I guess the story ends there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you can stop listening now. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and obviously, that's that's not uh, that's not what happened. But I will tell you, that is what resonated with me. Obviously, I'm a CP, I'm a CPA. You know, for for five years. But when you told me that uh, that you you started out your career in in accounting, yeah. I was like, at that moment, like she's on the Passion to Brand podcast because it was like, you know, anyone that can go from from working in the accounting field, right? In the accounting profession to preparing, you know, preparing tax returns, you know, doing, running QuickBooks and doing, you know, books for, for, for clients to now running a successful brand marketing business. Like that's a story that needs to be shared. Like I, I, I for <laughs> sure thought like that was something that was, was super intriguing. Oh, that's awesome. And I'm still shocked that you are also, that you are a CPA, but you remind me of one of my good friends who was also CPA. So that makes sense. <laughs> The fact you said the fact that you said good friends, I don't need to ask anymore. So, <laughs> but I do. I must ask. I mean, we're you know, I'm CPA. You're an accountant, so I I must ask. Uh, what do you miss most about that experience? And and maybe what what's a memory that like just haunts you to this day that you're like, get it out of my mind. So I actually really like bookkeeping. That sounds really yeah. dorky and geeky, but I liked that, and okay. so I still do that, and I mm -hmm. teach my students now um, how to how to use essentially insights and numbers to um, inform their Instagram content decisions. And yeah. so I definitely do that still. And I like to manually track my income statement. So I've got an Excel sheet here. It's called income statement. I've got my income and expenses. And as I get a sale, or even if it's a $19 sale, I plug it in manually. And that's just amazing. filled me with so much satisfaction that only an accountant would understand. Mm -hmm. I, I get it. I can resonate with that. <laughs> and one thing I want to forget is the the long nights during tax season. Where oh, my Literally, gosh. you know, sleep yeah. under my desk on a yoga mat just to take <laughs> little breaks. Uh yeah, and just like eating at 10 p.m. at night and then going back to the office to finish some tax returns. Pretty brutal. You're giving me nightmares right now just thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So tell us how you transitioned from being a, an accountant to where you are today. Okay, so in late 2014, I was, I, I was in Mexico on a vacation. It was November 11th. And I met my now husband there um, at a nightclub. We spent the whole night dancing. And then let's fast forward a little bit. Um, that was November. By February of 2015, I was moved. I'd moved already to Berlin and we were living together and we got engaged that following that May. So five months later, we were engaged and we've been married now for, um, I believe, seven years. <laughs> like, that's awesome, Car. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And so he was the reason that I got the courage, him in combination with um, 
one of my cousins passed away who was basically my best friend and he was mm. a year younger than me at the time. So I was 26, my cousin was 25 and he died, um, freak accident. And that was kind of like the, the huge push that I needed to really reevaluate my life and realize that I was deeply unhappy, uh, you know, accounting, even though I had so many amazing friends and I had learned so much and I was so appreciative of that experience. It wasn't what I saw myself doing for the rest of my life or at least the next five to 10 years. And if I hadn't met Maxime, I wouldn't have had that courage. And if it hadn't been for my cousin's death, I wouldn't have had that courage to just pick up and start something new. And so that's how I left accounting. Mm -hmm. And then we're now in Berlin, Germany. Even though my dad's Swiss, um, he never spoke German to us growing up. And so the first thing I did in Germany, day one of being there, is I was um, registered for a German class. And I ended up studying German full time. So going to school again, Monday to Friday, uh, for six hours a day for five months until I learned German fluently. <laughs> wow. Goodness. Wow. And then after those initial, I think it was five, six months, um, the United Nations had just started a startup accelerator division for their World Food Program arm. And I was lucky enough uh, through, you know, connections that we found out that they were looking for people to join the startup as volunteers um, in a variety of positions. And I applied as a social media person. Okay. And I had, you know, I had no experience doing any formal social media except for my own personal Instagram. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I did really well in the interview. I had a ton of ideas for them and I ended up getting the volunteer role. And shortly after that, three months later, they offered me a full-time um, consultancy position. That was how I got uh, my first foray into marketing and Instagram. Wow. Wow. I mean, and you can imagine as, as all you've ever known, right, is, is you know, I imagine several years in accounting, it's like super structure, right? A lot of structure, being in a, a cubicle in an office, you know, probably expecting a lot of what your day, you know, knowing what your day is going to look like. Now into the social media world, which is relatively still new, right? And it was like marketing, that's like a lot of like unknown. Yeah, yeah, it was super exciting. And, you know, I'd always wanted to work for the UN. My dad had worked for the UN briefly. and it was always at the back of my mind. So I'd kind of had that in my stream of consciousness. And for that to happen was just like an amazing, amazing kind of bucket list moment. And our team was incredible because we were building an app to feed children uh, in need around the world. And the app was called Share the Meal and it's still around. It's amazing. It's the best performing charity app ever on, on both um, Play and App Store. With 50 cents, you could feed a child in need. Wow. Uh, and it was just so exciting. And we were so hungry and passionate about it that all the long hours, all of the, the failures and, you know, mishaps with the app didn't matter because it was just mm -hmm. such a cool project. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I, I would imagine that, that you realized your work and the purpose of your work um, sometimes makes work not work. Right. When you press into something that you're really passionate about that you believe in, work no longer feels like work. Yeah. Yeah. And so I did share the meal for over two years. And my husband at the time was working at Google and he got a promotion. And so the promotion was in the U.S. with the U.S. team. And we ended up moving to New York. 
you know, some more things happened, which were unfortunate, um, depending on, on what your views are. But I, I couldn't work for the first 10 months that we were in New York because um, of visa issues. So there was a big delay and then they lost my application. So it was just like a series of unfortunate events. And then um, during that time, though, I decided that instead of just kind of waiting for this application to come in and twiddling my thumbs in the most expensive city in the world, I created a small e-commerce store called House of Lugo, Lugo mm -hmm. being my family name in Mexico. And I was traveling to Mexico and working with local indigenous communities and um, posting their products on my on my Instagram and on my Shopify. Yeah. And I was donating all the profits back to those communities. Following along with um, what I had learned at Share the Meal, I knew I wanted to do something that was going to give back and utilize all the skills that I'd learned um, mm -hmm. at Share the Meal. So that was also like my first foray into entrepreneurism and yeah. seeing how, how a business runs. Yeah. Uh, and then I got my work permit. Yeah. Here you were in a, in a new city, in a new country. Right. Things were not going your, your, your way. And you're now sitting here. You had a choice to make is do I sit around and, and do I play victim or, you know, sit around and, and just think, well, I'll just wait or, or do I leverage my situation? Understanding that this is, that's what life does. Life throws you curveballs and, and what you, what, what are you going to do with it? And here you leverage your past experience with marketing with your other experience, uh, you know, in the nonprofit world. And you say, I, I have at least known these things. Let me see how I can yeah. implement that. Yeah. And through that, I ended up getting, um, you know, a lot of companies here in New York that were interested in talking to me. And so it made me a really desirable candidate. And I ended up taking like a like an idiot, the first job offer <laughs> to me uh, because I was so hungry and ready to work after yeah, 10 yeah. months. Right. Yeah. And so I took the first offer and it was at an advertising technology company. And that I thought was going to be really exciting. And it turned out to be a total toxic environment. Mm. And uh, I was basically bullied there and forced out in a sense. So uh, and, and not by not by the presidents or the executives like they they got along with me. Great. I was helping and advising them and coming up with new creative ways to run the business. Uh, but it was with people that were supposed to be my mentors and managers and mm. Um, it was just really unfortunate. So I ended up uh, applying for other roles in parallel, knowing that something was kind of off there. Yeah. And then I got hired as the first U.S. hire at a vitamin subscription company startup mm. here in Brooklyn. Oh. Um, and I was hired as their head of social media and head of brand partnerships. Wow. And I bet that was uh, probably pretty good experience, I would imagine. So it was great. Uh, but after only one year, COVID hit. So uh, now we're in March 2020. Yeah. And I am two weeks away from giving birth and I get laid off, as does everybody else at the startup. Wow. So that was a huge awakening again for me. Just, you know, I felt like I had screwed up twice now you know i mm. chose the wrong company once and now i chose the wrong company again and in hindsight none of it was my fault um but it took me 10 months i took a 10 month essentially like mat leave and you know did the whole mom thing for 10 months and was able to realize that my real joy and passion is in helping people 
And I also really like social media mm. and, um, and, and educating people and teaching things. That's how I started uh, mm. what you see now on Instagram. Gosh, what a, what a story. And I know, I, I know you know, with, with obviously corporate life, you know, in, in your rear view mirror, right? You're looking back and you're like, yeah. done the corporate thing, did the accounting thing, you know, worked at the startup, you know, worked in a startup, actually started out my own thing, right? You, you've now gotten an experience from a, a, a wide variety of, of opportunities. You now have, have realized your passion, helping overwhelmed, burnt out entrepreneurs, you know, grow in social media. You know, I think that is, that is an amazing, you know, once you've hit that realization, that's such an amazing thing to, to encounter. What do you, what do you think was so powerful? I mean, in that moment, what do you think was so power, powerful about social media and why did you think that it was the, the right fit for you? So I'd seen the power of social media and what could be done with no money. By no money, I mean no budget for marketing and no advertising spend. Because when I was at the UN, we didn't have anything. There was no budget. We were a shoestrings operation. And then I saw the contrast of that working at that ad tech company where we were an agency literally taking hundreds of thousands of dollars from some of the biggest companies and brands in the world and spending that in a week on advertising. Mm -hmm. And so I saw that juxtaposition and then I saw what I was able to do with just 2000 followers on Instagram with House of Lugo. And it just all started to click with me. I thought, how can I show people that they can change their lives? You know, from my experience growing up, it can mean an extra $300 a month that pays for a volleyball camp. Yeah. It can mean an extra $700 a month that means a plane ticket to Mexico. And so all of these things started to click and I, I just knew I had to get in here. I've worked with some of the biggest brands in the world, like Facebook and Apple and Google and Michael Kors. And I have so much information and so many small businesses are just struggling to get eyes on their content. You know, Carl, what I, what I love about you and, and about your story is, I mean, you, first off, you get such a positive attitude. You've uh, been through a lot of things and changes in your, in, in your career. Uh, but you, you've been able to find just a positive side to each one in the sense that you took something from each uh, position that you've held, you learned something from that. And I feel like now you, it's really allowed you to blossom into this, uh, you know, now into the world of branding and helping people uh, live their dreams. And, you know, as we say, you know, uh, take their passion and turn it into a brand. So it, it's just so exciting. So, uh, Talk to us about how KB Branding came about. Yeah, KB Brand Marketing. And thank you for saying that. It really does mean a lot to me because um, everything happens so quickly sometimes that you don't sure. pause to reflect. Um, so it's nice to actually have these opportunities to talk. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but so I started uh, KB Brand Marketing, which is my website and my old Instagram handle. Now it's just Carb Rulehart. It's just my name. Um, but the whole concept was that I thought initially I would start like a mini agency. It would be like a boutique agency where I would be doing done for you services. Mm -hmm. um, and I did do that for the first uh, couple months of the business uh, until I started losing my voice because I was doing so many calls <laughs> and <laughs> until I was realizing that I was just I, I was going to have to hire a bunch of people. And at the end of the day, I knew I didn't want to be managing a team and delegating and outsourcing things like I wanted to 
be the ideas man and yeah. I wanted to help people directly. And so I made another pivot there really early and shifted more to uh, digital courses and um, VIP kind of one-to-one offerings. And that's really like where I'm at today is uh, just coming up with digital products that are courses, ebooks, downloads that help people at any budget, at any stage, um, grow organically on Instagram. Yeah. Which I, I'd imagine, um, you know, Carl, when, when you are, you know, launching, uh, launching your, your new Instagram, you know, passionate, excited car is, is pressing into her passion. You post that first post, you're like, this is going to kill it. And like, like that you post and then you look at your account and you have a hundred thousand followers. Like that's how it went, right? Oh no, no, no. <laughs> so it's funny because I teach content strategy and sales strategy, but when I first started my account, I actually didn't really implement anything that I teach. I was mm. doing kind of what most people do when they start something is just going for it and shooting yeah. at the hip and seeing what works. Um, and so my early content was very much random things like okay. that were not super niche specific. And I'm talking like general marketing. I was talking about influencers. I was talking about search engines. I was talking about SEO. And yeah. it was just a bit of a mess. And yeah. then... When I started following my own strategies, which was niching down, um, defining content pillars, assigning business objectives to content, and really stepping into me and my power and experience and my story, then I started to see some more growth. And it was all very normal growth until I went all in with Instagram Reels. So Reels is really what changed the game for me. And that's what I teach in my course now is how to leverage reels to grow your following exponentially and attract your ideal customer. And I was able to go. So I went all in with the account, let's call it in January. And by March, I went from less than 2000 followers to 15,000 followers. They all came from reels. I'm sure of it. And yeah. 75% came from reels. So yeah, yeah. I was yeah. just incredibly fortunate. Yeah. That's incredible. A thousand, two thousand followers is like, it's like, ah, I just don't know. I don't know how to get that to that next step. Right. Mm -hmm. Can you speak into a, a little bit? I, you know, I know it's the, you had mentioned the reels. What about the reels? Like, what about like what, what you were producing really uh, got to people? Yeah. So I think, you know, there's so many ways to approach this question. And one thing that a lot of people don't really consider is who is their audience? Who are they talking to? And what are the pain points of those people? And where do you come in with your expertise to meet those people along the way? And they're not all going to be the same person with the same pain points. So it's super important to kind of identify that target audience or that target client by actually mapping out either an avatar or an ICA or whatever you want to call it, right? Like a fictional character and then start creating the content that speaks to them. So that's one thing. Um, the other thing is understanding how Instagram as a platform functions. Just this year alone, Instagram has implemented probably more changes than they have in the past seven years in just one year. And those changes are all signaling and pointing towards reels. Reels is their product. TikTok is, is the other product, right? And so 
Instagram is prioritizing, their algorithm is prioritizing video content specifically if it's reels. And one of those updates that we've seen in the app is our insights now are a lot more robust in the yep. sense that we can now break down every single piece of content and see where those impressions are coming from. Yep. And that's particularly exciting because across the board, what I'm seeing on my account and on all my students and clients' accounts is that 75% of those impressions are coming from non-followers and yep. reels. Interesting. We've had people on the podcast who are invested in TikTok, right? They, they like that platform, you know, and we have all the other people who are more invested in YouTube, right? And so it's interesting to get the perspective. I really would love to hear your perspective on why you think Instagram Reels is the right platform for you. So it's a great question. And one I even asked myself almost weekly because there's so much pressure uh, we think we need to be on every platform in order to have a voice and be relevant and attract as many people as possible. But the reality is that I think less is more, especially when you're a small team, is picking one or two platforms, and I'm going to say one for now, that you commit to and where you can be really consistent because we know that every platform, regardless of whether it's TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, they value consistency and they value recency. And so the more you're posting, it doesn't mean post several times a day. It can mean posting four times a week, but you're being consistent about it. They reward those accounts by showing that content to more people. So what for me really was the reason I, I went all in with Instagram was that one, all my experience was really primarily in Instagram. I felt the most comfortable with it. Um, but number two was that I think that Instagram, being that it's tied to Facebook, which is now meta, um, it's a whole other thing we could talk about. <laughs> there's so much more that you can do to target new audiences and not just pursue an organic content strategy, but also pursue a paid strategy. Yep. And so when I go to TikTok, I, I once in a while I post on there. I just cannot be consistent on TikTok. It's not as um, as as easy for me, and I, I just prefer Instagram. It's it's what I know, right? Yeah. And so I I prioritize Instagram, and maybe in the next year I'll look at looking into TikTok a little bit more. But for now, it makes sense for me to focus on one platform, and that's yeah. Instagram. Yeah. And that's interesting. I mean, that's, and it's a really good perspective because we have certainly heard people, you know, share on the podcast that, um, you know, be involved in all platforms, just put out the content, repurpose the content on, on all platforms. And we've also heard from people that are very particular just to one. And so it's, it's interesting because at the end of the day, we're going to, we obviously have, have people listening today that are, are thinking about what content do I, you know, what platform do I use for my content? You know, that's their question. It's like, there are so many different platforms. What's the best one to use? What, I mean, what, what would you say to that? I think it really depends on what platform feels more doable for you from a UX or UI perspective. Go into TikTok. If that feels good and, and you understand it and you can figure out how to create content on there, how to um, create a community, how to talk to people and have conversations, how to get attention of brands, then use TikTok. But mm. if you're on Instagram and it feels a lot more doable for you, then use Instagram because yeah. that's kind of one of the biggest detriments to people is they don't know how to use the technology. And so if you don't know how to use it, 
then how are you supposed to have success? The other thing I want to say is that TikTok, we, we talked a lot about how video is being pushed right now. Video is king. That's very much true. But the regular content, by regular, I mean in-feed posts, stories, and Instagram lives and carousels, they still perform very well on Instagram as well. Yeah. Car, that is super good advice. One that I, I haven't heard. I love the UX uh, you know, piece that you threw in there. What, whatever you feel as a user that you enjoy, right? It's like reels, you know, creating a reel is different than creating a, a TikTok video, right? The, the, the functionality of, of both is different. And so the feel of, of, of producing one might feel better than the other. And, and it's true. If you don't like the feel of a TikTok, every time you produce a TikTok, you're going to get overwhelmed and you're gonna be like, this is horrible, right? And the worst thing that can happen to a content creator is getting burned out. Right, so that UX, understanding that UX and that just environment, that feeling that you get by engaging with the app, that's that's really good advice. Um, Car, want to take a take a little shift here because of of course this is something that uh, that our listeners obviously have asked a lot. I've gotten it a lot at at Passion to Brand. Um, hey, great, Brett, you can take your passion, you can live out your passion. Car's living out her passion through through Instagram. She's fully invested. Um, but I got to pay my bills. You know, it's like, I got, I got to make money somehow. I mean, how, how can you make money on, on Instagram? Yeah. So, I mean, aside from the obvious ways, which is, you know, once you've got a following doing brand partnerships or having affiliate links or something like that, um, I think that anybody can make money on Instagram these days. It's about really tapping into what is your creative genius? What is your zone of expertise? We all have one. Like, even if you're a, a video editor, or if yeah. you are a an author or an illustrator or a handyman, those are all things that can be monetized. I definitely sympathize with people that have a full-time job and, you know, they don't have a security blanket or savings where they can just say, okay, I'm going to quit my job and yeah. do full-time Instagram for my product or service. Um, and to those people, I say, then make it your hobby. So when you mm. do have downtime, instead of watching Netflix or instead of you know, whatever it is that we do that we usually waste time with, yeah. go and build out a business plan. That's what I did. Start coming up with ideas for different stories, different posts that you can create, different content, start photographing, start creating short videos and just start posting. And then as you start to grow, you'll, you'll, you'll just learn. It's all about learning. Like every yeah. day you're learning something on the internet. And, you know, maybe you make one sale that first month, but that one sale pays your whole grocery bill for the month, yeah. right? So those are the little wins. And then as you start to see what works, what doesn't work by looking at your insights, like adapting and um, experimenting, then you'll see that you can go all in eventually. Is there anything that you would have done differently um, that maybe you're going to might implement this upcoming year? Yeah. So, you know, I think I've been lucky to see a lot of peers and learn very quickly as I go. Um, but I think one of the things that I wish I knew sooner was that it was okay to invest in my business sooner. Hmm. So I didn't actually start spending any significant amount of money until about maybe two months ago. And by that, I mean um, hiring people to help me with things yeah. that were taking up a lot of my time. So giving yourself that permission once you start seeing some success in terms of revenue um, to actually spend it 
um, to to make you more efficient and to open up like more creative channels. And I think another thing I wish I knew earlier, I mean, I don't have any regrets or anything, but like one thing I wish I knew earlier, which I don't think enough women talk about specifically, maybe we're starting to talk about it more, but I feel like in the U.S. especially, it's still taboo to be pregnant in the workplace. And Mm. it's very much Mm -hmm. evidenced by um, the fact that pregnant women are the most common form of discriminatory um, improper uh, firings in the U.S. Mm, and so where I'm getting at is that we have to realize that having children does in no way impede our potential or possibility to be successful. And yeah. I sort of already knew that just from seeing what my family did with children. But it took me 10 months from when Charlotte was born until I started Carb Rulehart to realize that being a mom was not going to be affected by my business or being an entrepreneur and vice versa. Yeah, I mean, there are moms out there or, or you know, soon to be mothers that are probably thinking to themselves like, um, what am I going to ha- have my child? What am I going to do, do now? Right. And they probably feel a little bit of like hopelessness. It's like, I, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. Right. And, and, and you recognizing that, I mean, that what, what, a what a testament to you as a person recognizing that need and, and obviously wanting to, to help, you know, that, that group of, of women, I guess, you know, um, we, uh, we, we want to hear where cars going next. Yeah. Do you want to know personal or you want to know business? <laughs> Either, both. You, you, you share what you want to share. Well, I think by the time this podcast airs, uh, this will be out. So yeah. uh, we are expecting our second child. Oh my gosh. How good. <laughs> uh, so baby number two is coming in May. As a family, we've taken some big decisions about uh, the kind of life we want to live and the quality of life we're after. And so we have decided that we are going to be moving to Lisbon. And, okay. you know, in Lisbon, there's a ton of digital um, nomads. And I just think it's going to be really interesting for my content. Yeah. And uh, from a business, what's coming is that I'm just going to be focusing on creating more courses. So I'm working okay. right now on an analytics course. And I'm also working on a Instagram mastermind as well as an Instagram branding course. So really taking what I've learned from coaching over 250 people this last year and filling in the gaps of where they their learning is still missing that extra push. Man, I should have known by asking that question that I was getting myself into a whirlwind of an answer. That's amazing. That's so awesome. Well, we appreciate uh, we appreciate you sharing all that, uh, Car, and we of course appreciate you being, you know, on the on the podcast today. Of course, there's gonna be people that are curious about you wanting to connect with you and, and following along with your journey. What's the best way for people to to get involved? Um, you can find me at Car Brulhart. That's K A R B R U L H A R T on Instagram. And if you use the code passion to brand, so it's to the number two, you can get $100 off of my power of reels course that walks you through how to create reels, how to go about content strategy, how to look at your insights, how to edit, make transitions, and a whole bunch of other freebies in there. Wow, Car, that's a that's a great offer. Appreciate, of course, you being on, and and I'm I like I said, I'm super excited to to follow along on your journey. I know uh, I've learned this over following you this long that nothing stays the same, 
and yeah. that's exciting. And so excited to see what is next for you. And and, uh, and of course, I have no doubts that uh, everything will be success from here. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show this week. If you are not a subscriber to the Passion to Brand podcast, please do subscribe. If you're interested in being on the podcast, please write to me at brett at passiontobrand.com or send me a message on Instagram at passiontobrand. This episode was produced by Candace Bodenbender with Max Drive Marketing and music composed by Trevor Michael Music. Thanks again for listening.